Welcome to the Tanya Acker Show. Diane Grossman's daughter, Mallory, took her own life at only 12 years old. And it was after enduring that unspeakable, unimaginable tragedy that Diane embarked upon a mission to save other young people and their families from a similar fate. Listen to what she did, learn who Mallory was, and let's all try to treat one another with a bit more kindness. I certainly will. Here I am with Diane Grossman. Diane Grossman, thank you so much for being here. And I am so sorry about the loss of your sweet little girl. Thank you. Thank you so much for uh, helping us share our story and helping us shed light as to what we like to refer to as the epidemic that is stealing our children's future. So thank you for um, opening up your platform to help us. When did you first learn that Mallory was the victim of bullying in school? How did it come to your attention? When did you first become aware of it? I think that's such a great question because you never get to that point. There was never a moment during the every day that I ever really referred to what Mallory was going through as bullying. And I think that's part of the problem. You know, there's this thing called relational bullying when the group of kids are friends with you on Tuesday, but they're not friends with you on Wednesday. You can sit and eat lunch with them on Thursday. So there was a lot of that going on. So I never really until honestly, until the day that we met with principal on the day that Mallory died, did I ever really use the word bullying And I think when I look back at that, Diane, it had a lot to do with the stigma that is attached when you start to use the word bullying. I remember talking to the schools and always saying, I don't want to be that mom. And I think that was my way of saying to them, I'm not trying to elevate the situation. I don't want to attach the word bullying to it. But I need you to understand that this is more than just kids being kids. That is so important. Diane, because when we think about both our own experiences as young people, and I don't have kids, but I see some of what goes on. And some of these young people are just mean. And now it seems that young people can't get away from it. So, you know, we've raised the bar, right? We've raised the bar as a society, right? We have raised the bar of hate. We no longer talk like leave it to beaver. We no longer say go jump in the lake, right? Which means get out of my face or leave me alone. We don't talk like that anymore. We tell people to go kill themselves. If you tell someone to go jump in the lake, there's no death sentence attached to it. We as a society have raised the bar on our language, on our level of hate, and our kids are listening to us. They are listening to how hateful we are. There are influencers online that are paid for their comedic their comedic behavior that could be perceived as rude. And so I think it's a it's a conjunction of all of that. And then of course you add social media and platforms to it and then it just becomes a vegetable soup of a nightmare. What were the things that you learned were happening to Mallory at school? You know, you, you hear she's having these unfortunate experiences. You don't necessarily 
want to call it bullying because as you said, right. you know, you don't want to be stigmatized as that parent. Uh, right. You didn't want Mallory stigmatized. Which, by the way, I want every listener to understand, be that parent. Be that parent. Right? Like, that's the first message I'm going to say to them is stop trying to soften it by trying to have a negotiation. Call it what it is, right? Your child is either harassed, intimidated, or bullied. They are excluded. They're being made fun of. Like really and truly, I think the best thing that we could teach listeners is to understand is call it what it is. I tried to soften it so that hopefully I would get on the good side of the school system so that hopefully I could win their approval so that they would help me navigate what was going on. And at the end of the day, that just was the wrong, in my opinion, the wrong decision. I really should have taken a much more proactive approach to it. And I should have taken the subtle things that were happening. I should have taken them more seriously. They would... I'm sitting in class and pull Mallory's hair when the teacher wasn't looking. And I always say to teachers, just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. They would call her names. They would make fun of her. They would make sure she didn't have a seat at lunch, right? It was kind of open seating, but it was assigned seating. So basically there were two or three tables that the kids could sit at and they would kind of spread out to make sure that she didn't have a seat at lunch. Sensitivity is the number one characteristic for children who self-harm. And Mallory was extremely sensitive. So instead of people used to say to me, why didn't Mallory fight back? A child like Mallory isn't going to fight back. You know, a child that's picked on that is a victim That's literally the characteristic that bullies look for is they look for the weakest link that that wants to be friends with them. That's literally the definition of relational bullying. So it was those little subtle things that would happen every day. Mallory was a gymnast. And so it was always odd to me that her lunchbox always came home full. I never really put two and two together that she wasn't eating lunch Um, until I started asking questions. And then, of course, the guidance counselor said, well, she can come eat lunch with me. And I remember thinking, what 12-year-old wants to eat lunch with a 40-year-old guidance counselor? Like, you want to eat lunch with your peers and hang out, and they don't have recess. So lunchtime is the only social interaction they really have. So it was very subtle things. And I think that's why we chose to speak out so openly about Mallory's situation, her life, her death, and what she experienced at school, because it's not the big kid pushing the little kid, you know, or stealing their lunch money. These are very subtle and cruel ways. And I always, I always say it's like little tiny paper cuts on her heart every single day. Well, and I think that you make such an important point in identifying the character of the child who is often targeted by the bully, because as you just said it, Diane, like bullies, they pick their victims. They pick the people who are going to be the most hurt. They pick the ones who won't fight back. They pick people with sensitivities because they know that that person is just trying to get approval, trying to be liked, uh, trying to be included. So Let's just set a little more of the stage. Mallory is 12. She's coming home. She's getting these horrific messages on uh, social media. She's Those got, happened much later. That so, happened. And I think that's it. Yes. And I think, again, that's the important part of this is, is that there wasn't this big explosion of something. And I think parents need to know that that children will hide what's going on because they want to fix it themselves. No one likes to admit that they're not popular and that they're hated at school, 
particularly children that are going through puberty, that are having, you know, brain development. There's so many little things that go on in there. So they want to fix it for themselves. I remember Mallory used to say to me, mom, don't say anything because you're going to make it worse. Mm. Right. Like their thought is, well, we'll fix it. Like if I can. And that's why I say it's so important to identify children that do act out this way. You know, I would say hurt people hurt. One of the things is that they look for this and that's how they identified Mallory is that, you know, they would get her to do certain things and they would be friendly with her on one day and then they would treat her badly on the next. So not only is it confusing for the victims, but it's confusing for the parent and even confusing for the school system. Right. Like one day they're walking past the hall and they saw Mallory was talking to the girls. And then the next day they get an email from me saying that something happened. So it's very, very subtle when the text messages, Mallory didn't, Mallory had a cell phone, but she wasn't allowed to have social media. So that was kind of like the one thing that I did stand firm on. So it was the text messages and those came after the winter. They came early spring and then into the summer before she ended her life. So let's talk about early on when you first become aware of, you know, she's having these issues are happening at school. And you described it really well. It's kind of like death by a thousand cuts. You know, it's first like they just prick you and prick you and come for you in little ways. Um, When you first hear that she's having these uncomfortable experiences at school, what do you do? What do you say to school officials? Well, in hindsight, you know, I I did what every parent does. I say to, to the kids, ignore her, that Mallory, don't be friends with those girls. I remember in early in September, I said to Mallory, I said, well, Mallory, I said, if you want to be friends with them, why don't we have them over? Maybe if they saw you and they saw that you want to be friends with them because we were relatively new to the district. We'd only been here since this was sixth grade. So we'd been here since fourth grade. And I had seen that the girls were a little more advanced They were a little more, not outgoing, but they were definitely had a lot more freedoms in their lives than Mallory had. Um, And I say that one of the girls was already in sixth grade sexually active. So, yes, I know. But so for me, I said, well, maybe if you invite them into your life, right, like maybe they would see that. So I remember having the girls over and they locked Mallory out of her bedroom. Mallory came downstairs and the girls were upstairs and I was like, Mallory, what's going on? And she's like, oh, they needed private time. And I was like, private time? That's not, no. So I remember going up and the door was locked. And I said to the girls, if you're going to, you know, be here, you can't lock Mallory out of her own room. And I remember saying to her, ignore those girls. Don't, you don't want to be friends with them. They're not girls that, they're not good girls. And I didn't mean that from a negative. I meant that more from, they're just, they're, it's not going anywhere. You're not going to be able to be friends with these girls. It was very clear early on from an adult that they were not going to be friends with her. How did you become aware of the situation escalating? I would say it was around after Christmas when we got back from Christmas break. Mallory had gotten a UGA sweatshirt and she had gotten some fairies and they were monogrammed by her aunt and uncle. And she was so proud of them at Christmas. And she wore them to school the very first day afterwards. And then she came home and she goes, I can't wear these. And I, I was like, why can't you wear them? I started to see that her behavior started to change based on how they were treated her at school. 
So, of course, and then in February, when the marking period came out, her grades plummeted. And when I say plummeted, she went from an A student to literally she had a 60 in science. And that's when I was like, oh, I need a meeting with the school. So I immediately emailed the teachers, assuming that they knew what was going on because I had already been in touch with the guidance counselor and the vice principal. So I went into the meeting in March with her teachers thinking that we were all on the same page. And when I got to the meeting, they had no idea what I was talking about. They were surprised by that. And they turned the meeting into Mallory had a comprehension issue. So then as a parent, I second guessed myself again. And I said, oh, well, maybe she's really struggling in school. Maybe this has nothing to do with the behavior. Because as a mom, no one wants to admit that your kid is being bullied because of who they are. Right. And there was nothing about Mallory that stood out. It wasn't she was just just a normal everyday kid. It just seemed odd to me that she would be picked on. And so it was strange to me. So even in March, I said, gosh, maybe she has a comprehension. So I got her a tutor. So the entire time, it never really felt like it elevated to me until the night before she died. She called me just really soft and sad. And she said, Mom, what time are you coming home? And I said, "Um, regular time, Mal, why? What's up? And she said, "Um, I had a really bad day. And I had heard that before, but in that moment, I heard like desperation in her voice. And I said, I'll be home regular time, Mal. You know, I'll be home. And so I said to her dad, I was like, something's up, like something's going on. We went home and we tried to have a regular evening. We threw some hamburgers on the grill, like it tried to be. And she asked to eat dinner in her bedroom. And I I let her, um, but we always sat together and she enjoyed family dinner. So it was odd, but I I let her because I could see that there was something. And then about maybe an hour or so went by and I I said to Seth, I go, go, go check on her. See, something's up. And he went upstairs and it wasn't 15, 20 minutes. I just heard her. I heard her sobbing. She just cried like she'd never cried before. And um, she cried so loud that her sister Carly came out of the room. Like it was that sound of just, just tears. And um, she was holding that cell phone. And um, that's when she showed me the pictures that they had taken at school during during school hours where they were making fun of her. And um, you could just, she just, she just broke down in that moment. She just sat on the couch and she sobbed. And um, she, um, you could, she was broken. They won. They broke her in that moment. And um, so I immediately, I, I, tried to screenshot the images and text them to myself. But of course, I made a mistake on that, you know, 50-year-old, don't know how to use technology woman. And so I actually screenshotted the images to the girl that had sent them to her. And she immediately responded back with a laughing emoji face. And I said, this is Mallory's mom. Have your mom call me right now. It was just a joke. And she immediately like didn't want to respond. And I was like, this is Mallory's mom. You're in a lot of trouble. Call me. Have your mom call me right now. Because again, I thought, let's just get to the bottom of this. Like Mallory's clearly distressed, like something. Within about five minutes, the mother called me 
And it was crystal clear that wasn't going anywhere. She said, you must be new to Copeland because the boys are a lot worse. Can't your daughter take a joke? My daughter would never call your daughter fat because she's the fat one. And I was like, well, hell, apple meat tree. And um, so I knew that that conversation was going nowhere. I emailed the school. And the next day we had a three-hour meeting. And the principal and guidance counselor, they just dismissed everything. As a matter of fact, he gave Mallory a poker chip and had her write her initials and date 614-17 on it and said it was okay to be hated online and that she had to be all in in order for life to be. And um, a few hours later, my husband found her. Diane, um, it is very hard to hear this about a 12-year-old girl who is being tortured and tormented to such an extent that she doesn't feel the world holds a place for her. Um, I am only asking you this because I think it's important that people know the sorts of things that young people uh, are saying to one another and attacking one another with and um, how they're really, uh, how these things become so hurtful What did you see? What kind of messages was this young person sending to Mallory? Obviously, they told her to kill herself, right? Like, they they told her to kill herself. That's probably the most vile. Um, They took her picture um, and edited it and said, um, poor Mal was one of the pictures. And then there was another one that says, you have no friends. Um, And it was a picture of her sitting alone waiting for the bus. Um, it was um, a Mallory. I remember in one of the one of the text messages, Mallory wrote back to her because Mallory wasn't on Snapchat, so she couldn't see what they were writing about her. Write it on Snapchat and then screenshot it and text it to her so she could see. Like that's the level of cruelty. It's bad enough to bully someone online, but everyone's like, well, why didn't Mallory ignore it? She literally couldn't ignore it, and she wasn't on Snapchat. I wouldn't let her have that platform. So they would screenshot the images and text them to her of what they were saying. So it's it's that level of just just cruel and mean. I read that there was one incident where you reached out to the school and they had a meeting with Mallory and one of her young tormentors. And what they did was they forced the girls to hug. I guess they told them to hug it out. Uh, as yeah, if all that of Mallory's was going to Yeah, all of Mallory's bullies. There was one point where there was an email exchange, and I want to say it was probably in like October-ish time frame, October, November, where there was an incident. And I emailed the school and said, you know, Mrs. Patel, just so you know, this is what's going on. And yeah, they did. They brought Mallory in to the guidance room and had Mallory hug it out. Um, and then afterwards, Mallory was crying, right? And so afterwards, the guidance counselor let her leave to go to the bathroom to wash her face. The bullies followed her and said, if you ever do that again and tell, we'll kick your ass. And she came home and told me, and she said, because you told Mrs. Patel what I told you, I got in more trouble. So again, she's developing the personality that she can't trust her mother. She can't trust the school because when I when she would give me the information of what was happening at school, of course, I would report it to the school because you feel like as a mom, that's what you're supposed to do, right? We're all on the same team. I need parents to understand that the public school system is broken and we're not on the same team. 
We're not. We, we're not even on the same field. Forget about being on the same team. And so, um, yeah, they made Mallory hug it out. And the funny thing is, is during all of the depositions, that was part of the testimony and they denied it. And then both when the girls were deposed during our case, not only did all of the girls have the exact same story, they said, oh, yeah, the, the, even the bully said, oh, yeah, we had to hug it out. So they lied under oath and the bullies backed up what Mallory was saying. It was fascinating to me. What, what's also fascinating, fascinating in a dark and troubling way is the reaction of the parent of one of these uh, young people when you approached her with the messages. Uh, I think you said it best, apples and trees, right? Like these right. kids show up engaging in these behaviors. Uh, something's going on at home or not, which is, a la- which is normalizing and, and enabling this conduct. So 2017, your sweet little girl takes her own life. Yeah. I don't... She's a baby. She was 12. Uh, 2018, you bring a lawsuit against the school district. What's the basis of your lawsuit? And then there's several angles you could go there. I mean, first of all, they violated Mallory's civil rights, right? Because she's entitled to a safe learning environment. That's number one. But ultimately, they were held responsible because the, the principal humiliated Mallory on the day that she died. He humiliated her. And the basis of our lawsuit was they violated, not only did they violate their own, New Jersey has very firm New Jersey statute of, it's called in New Jersey HIV, Harassment, Intimidation, and Bullying Act. And it's, they violated their, the rules of that. And then they also violated their own policies and procedures. So that's the basis of our lawsuit was really going after that they didn't even follow their own policy. That there was documentation they denied to file a HIB against. There was an email that went through where I demanded that a HIB investigation go into place and they called me and said, we're not going to do it. There was an email thread between the principal and the guidance counselor that's like an inner office thread where Mrs. Patel forwarded the my complaint to the school and the principal just ignored it. He refused to acknowledge it. And that was like January. According to uh, what I read, the school actually advised you not to file a formal a formal complaint. They told you not to file a formal complaint. They told us that it would be denied because it's up to the principal to determine whether there's two buckets you can put this type of behavior in. One is code of conduct and one is an actual act of bullying. I think, again, as parents, we need to understand, I don't care what bucket you put it in. I'm not looking for kids to have a hib against them, which, by the way, means nothing. It's an it's a it's a citation. It's a warning. So we need to stop exaggerating the punishment. They make it sound like it's a permanent folder thing. There's no such thing. But I don't care what bucket you put it in. Just let the behavior end. Like, it needs to stop. So, yes, they advised me that they would not open up a HIB investigation or file a HIB against the girls because in their minds, it did not fall under the category of HIB, which means that page they didn't even reach page four of HIB, which said any other distinguishing characteristics. A lot of times, many of the schools make mistakes and say that HIB only pertains to protected categories. And that's, again, it's lack of training, lack of education. They don't even know their own policies and procedures. 
When you say protected categories, you mean there's a misimpression that you've got to be a student of color or LGBT or one of these the things. When in of, fact, yep. they're mm-hmm. supposed to protect all kids, uh, regardless right. of the package, who are being subject to this uh, bullying behavior. Right. And the language defines it in the in the New Jersey statute. It says race, color and so forth. Then it says and any other distinguishing characteristics. So it spells out the language very clear that every kid is protected under New Jersey HIB. And it, you can wear glasses and not be made fun of for wearing those glasses. And it still can follow a HIB. A lot of schools make the mistake of saying, well, because they didn't make fun of your glasses or because they didn't make fun of your skin color or your sexual orientation, then it doesn't follow under him. And that's just not true. That's lack of training in our school systems, which is why I say they're so fractured. And it also seems, Diane, that the onus for protecting, for getting the protection against the bully is put on the victim. You know, you've got somebody giving her a poker chip saying, suck it up. Right. I say that all the time. We always ask the rape victim what she was wearing and how much she had to drink. Like we should be teaching our boys that a rape victim is not an opportunity for sex. She's an opportunity for an accusation. Why should Mallory have to say anything? She should be able to go to school and have a seat at lunch and she should be able to get an education. I mean, she was in math class with two of her bullies and forced to be in the group project with her bullies. Why would the teacher do that? In July, you reached a $9.1 million settlement with the district. You don't even have to say this. I am not a parent. There is no dollar amount that can compensate you for what you've lost. Having said that, you know, I'm often on this platform talking about situations when people shouldn't sue. You know, sometimes you got to find a way Outside of the courtroom, court's not efficient. But sometimes when they're not listening, it may be your only recourse. I mean, am I right, Diane? It seems that you were just up against a brick wall. Here's the thing. I think that, you know, there's two forms of justice in this country, right? There's criminal justice and there's civil justice. And in this situation, the only justice was civil liability. It's not about a dollar value. It's about the accountability of of them. And if you don't hold organizations and institutions like our public school systems accountable for what they do, then we're never going to get any better, right? Like we're just not. And so it was really the basis of acknowledging that you failed Mallory miserably. You did not follow your own policies and procedures. You were responsible. Mallory died on the day that we were in your office for three hours. First of all, it should have never been a three-hour meeting. You don't tell a child that it's okay to be hated online because you're hated on Facebook. You don't do that, right? Like, again, I don't care what bucket you put it in. I just wanted the behavior to stop. I wanted the girls to leave her alone. And I knew that it was going to escalate. Everyone's like, oh, well, it was almost the end of the year and it would be over. It was never going to be over for her, right? Every time Mallory, every time they did something, Mallory reported it, it was going to escalate, right? She had sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, all of high school. You talk to people that are truly bullied by someone in school, and it doesn't happen just one year or a couple of months. It is an ongoing 
repetitive behavior constantly. And the only way that today's schools are going to get that wake up call to understand that the behavior is not okay, particularly when they allow technology into their schools, when they allow the kids to have the cell phones at school, when they allow them to text their parents, when you open up technology and bring it in, then you're holding yourself liable. And the only way to do that was to have the largest settlement in the country. And that's what we set out to do. What's the difference, Diane, between the maybe mean kid who steps out of line from time to time and the bully who one has to take seriously? Or is there no difference? Are we making a mistake by uh, dismissing too casually behavior by young people that were like, you know what, you got to do better, be better? I mean, are, are we are we too cavalier about some of these behaviors? Yes and no. I, You know, listen, kids are going to be kids, right? And at the end of the day, Mallory was 12. She made a horrible mistake. And I will live with my portion of the mistakes that we made as a family for the rest of my life. So I'm definitely, um, I take accountability for our role in that. Here's how I describe it in my school presentations to parents. It's okay if your kid only wants to invite 10, 10 kids to the birthday party. It's not okay for those 10 kids to show up with their cell phone and call the 11th and 12th and 13th and 14th friend and remind them that they're not included and to tag them online. Oh, I'm so sorry that you weren't here. Like, I think we have to understand that, yes, it's okay for little Susie not to like someone. It's not okay for little Susie to go online and to go out of her way to show the other child that she doesn't like them. I also think parents, how they respond is a huge part of it. When Mallory was in third grade, she made fun of a little kid and his pants. And she walked past him and she's like, ha, 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 nice pants. I got a phone call from the principal where um, he said, you know, Miss Grossman, we're going to have to open up a HIV investigation because, you know, she made fun of him. He didn't speak great English and so forth. So I was like, okay, do what you have to do. When Mallory got home from school that day, I said, did you get, you know, did this happen? And she kind of was like, oh my God, mom, you got to be kidding me. And I said, oh no, I'm not kidding you. She sat down at the table and she wrote three letters of apology. One to the child that she made fun of. The second one to the family, because when you bully someone, you bully that child and the whole family. And she wrote an apology letter to the principal, because out of all the things that the principal has to do, the last thing he needs to do is worry about Mallory Grossman making fun of some kid's pants. So how we handle, I always say it's okay if your kid is accused of being the bully or saying something, but how you handle it, how you parent it is ultimately what we should be proud of or what we should be paying attention to. Because if they can learn in third grade that it's not okay to make fun of someone's pants, then they also learn at 19 when they're an adult where we have hazing at college that there are issues, right? Let them learn accountability at a young age. We're waiting far too late in our lives for as parents to step up and actually be parents. We're too busy being their friends. And so, it again, it's a vegetable soup of mistakes that we're making as a society. Do I think that kids are uh, overly sensitive? Sometimes, right? But that's a personality flaw. That still doesn't give someone the ability to call someone out and say something about them. So... Kids will always be kids. Kids are going to always make stupid mistakes. They're going to do things. They're going to say things that they shouldn't. But at the end of the day, as parents, 
We have to be prepared to parent that behavior so that children can learn from it. And as school systems, we need to be okay to piss off 10% of the population so that 100% of us will be happy. Those three letters that Mallory wrote, that's you, Diane. That was your parenting uh, that gave her the ethics and the morality and the, the wherewithal to do that. You took this moment, which I imagine for a parent, has got to be one of the greatest tragedies in life. It is the grad. It is the greatest. Like you can, you can overcome everything in life. Like, but the the death of a child, it's completely unnatural. We're, totally we're not supposed unnatural. to outlive our children. Yeah, not supposed to outlive your children. Absolutely unnatural. So after having endured uh, that horrific tragedy, you secured this settlement. But even more importantly, Diane, you actually changed the law. Talk to us a little bit about Mallory's Law and how that will provide more protection for young people, protection that Mallory didn't get. And I have to say, I cannot stop thinking about, I remember what it was to be a 12-year-old girl. Sometimes I was on the receiving end of not-so-nice stuff. Sometimes I said the not-so-nice stuff. But I promise you, my parents at home were there holding me responsible for all of it. So the tragedy that we have lost a 12-year-old young life uh, because of this is something that it's really hard to digest. What is incredible is what you've done to try to make the world safer for other young kids. Talk to us about Mallory's Law. So I always tell everybody that Mallory's Law is a base hit, right? No World Series was ever won without a base hit. And so Mallory's Law is exactly that. So it took the New Jersey HIV, which, by the way, is one of the strongest language Um, statutes written. So if your state doesn't have it, I would say to your listeners, every state needs an anti-bullying statute so that schools have a guidelines. I think where New Jersey falls is they do a great job of defining bullying, but they don't do a really great job of training on it or giving you like what to do next. Like what are the steps once you identify the bullying? So what Mallory's Law does is it puts a procedure into place. One of the things that we noticed when I was, and I'm no lawyer, but I knew to put things in writing when I was communicating with the school. So from the very beginning, I always drafted an email and I CC'd multiple people in it so that no one could come back and say, oh, I never got your email. There was a paper trail there. So Mallory's Law forces the school system put to put in a system that creates a paper trail. In New Jersey, that time stamps the investigation to HIB. A lot of times parents make the mistake, like I did, picking up the phone, calling the guidance counselor and saying, I don't really want to do anything about it, but I just want you to know what happened thinking that you can soften the blow of what's going to happen. Well, that puts the school system in a very difficult predicament. And it also leaves things, questions answered for the parents. So Mallory's Law forces the school system to create a ticket system, which is time stamped, which says during the investigation. And during that process, if HIB is determined, which we already had fines in place, Mallory's Law increased those fines. What sort of accountability process is there for the parents or guardians of the student or students who are found to be engaged in bullying? Because 
look, it, it, you can say everything you want to, to a kid when they're on school. If when they go home and the parent doesn't think it's a big deal that they're tormenting a classmate, then you're going to get nowhere. Are, are there consequences? Is there any mechanism for accountability for those caregivers? So not in Mallory's law, only in the fines. And the problem that we have is that the public school system is its own entity. And so it's difficult to hold parents accountable for what happens at school and hold school accountable for what happens at home. This is why I say that our public school system is so fractured because they're not, why I say they're not on the same team. So there's not, when it comes to, because you got to remember that first of all, and forgive me, it's not against the law to be an asshole. Like it's not, it's not against the law. So because it's not against the law to be an asshole, there's nothing criminally that you can do. So parents do have the right to be like, oh, it's no big deal. Oh, my God, you don't like her. Let it go. What parents need to understand and what I would talk openly about, Mallory's bullies parents, they sent, spent six years in litigation with us and we did not back down. So that is thousands of dollars, thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal support that they needed to hire in order for the civil component to move forward. So it's not against the law to be an asshole. So we have to remember that when you're dealing with juveniles, particularly juveniles, and the school system and the parents are on two different pages. So it's extremely important to understand that while parents are like, oh, it's no big deal, in situations like Mallory's, and I think our lawsuit is a true kind of sets the stage for that. The parents that were involved in Mallory's death were also involved in the civil lawsuit because when we sued the school system, but the school system went after the parents. So parents need to be mindful that even though they're, it's not against the law criminally, their children could be held civilly liable. And I think that that's what's happening down the road. So, you know, you can spend thousands of dollars in, in legal defense like the parents of Mallory's bullies did. I love what you said earlier, Diane. You don't have to invite every kid to the party. Everybody's right. not going to be friends with everybody. We all don't like each other. We don't when we're kids and we're not as adults, but you have a responsibility and an obligation to comport yourself with some decorum. You need some manners. So that means right. you don't have to have 12 people at the party, but you don't taunt those other two and make them feel badly about the fact that they're not there. I, I think that that's, I think that that's, that's, that's really important. It's a great distinction. What do you want schools and other jurisdictions to do differently for parents and students who are facing this because Mallory's not alone. You know, we are right. hearing more and more about young people who can't leave the torments of the school day because of the phones, of social media. You know, these kids are being followed by their tormentors. They're ne they never get a break. So what do you want schools, um, teachers, administrators, what do you want them to do differently going forward in other situations like this? So the first thing I want is I want cell phones removed from middle school. You, mm. there, there is so much data that supports that kids are not social when they have access to their phones at school. There is no need for it. And there's not an argument that can be made 
to me or any other parent that sits in my chair to say that the cell phones are more important than a child's experience in school. So that's number one. I know that parents will say, oh, I need to get in touch with my kid and this and that. And I would say there's a secretary that can take all the messages. So number one, technology needs to be removed from middle school. I understand high school, but middle school, that's number one. I think that we need to have a healthy relationship with technology. I think the fact that I heard yesterday that Copeland allows the children to, and I quote from an eighth grader, I can keep my cell phone in my back pocket. I think that is just, you just settled a $9.1 million lawsuit and you're letting eighth graders walk around with cell phones in their pocket. There's only a matter of time before something happens, someone trips and falls and three phones are out ready to record it or take pictures. What are you going to do? The pictures and the damage is already done. I think better training. I think we have to, as a society and as a school system, need to really try to understand and have people like myself explain, you need better training. Teachers have to get involved. They cannot turn a blind eye and say, and I know that teachers are burdened with education and all the things that they have to do. But at the end of the day, the safety, well-being, and the behavior in their classroom, they have to be mindful of that. Like I say all the time, just because you didn't see them pull Mallory's hair doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Stop saying, well, I didn't see it. That, that's, that's old school. We can't do that anymore. So we need deep training, good definitions. We need, children need to be able to predict the consequences of their behavior. And I know that that works. You're doing 65 in a 45 and a police officer goes by you. What's the first thing you do? Slow down. <laughs> you right. slow down. Why? You slow down. Why? Because you can predict the consequences of your behavior. You know instantly when you see the police officer, even if you're not speeding, what's the first thing you do? You hit your brakes. You immediately come to attention. You sit up straight. You start paying attention. If you've got your phone in your hand, you put it down because you can predict the consequences. That system works. So when children can predict the consequences of their behavior, when they know I do this, this happens, when school systems are willing to piss off 10% of the population so that 100% of us can be happy, that's when we'll start to see change. That's when we will start to see when children understand, like, if I do this, if I write this, if I say something, I'm, I'm, this, I'm, there's going to be accountability, right? Like, when you start taking the lead soccer player off the soccer field because he said something he shouldn't have said and you you don't care that you lose the season, that's when we will see change. Until that happens, it's a free-for-all in our school systems. You are using this horrible tragedy that you endured to try to prevent tragedy for other people. And frankly, Diane, um, that's real heroism. You didn't just get Mallory's Law passed. You also started an organization, Mallory's Army Foundation. Tell us about the work of the foundation. Well, I don't, I don't like to take credit for that. That was really um, our community. I always, I always say that while Mallory was bullied and hurt at school, the Rockaway Township community was incredible to us. And there were so many people that wanted to see change and they had had similar experiences that Mallory's Army just became a community platform. And it was a way for us to really get Mallory's message out there and to 
start hopefully fan-gating, right, changes in the school systems. And so that's what we initially did. The direction of the foundation, I mean, we're so overwhelmed with support and the direction that we're going to go in. We're not 100% sure, but we do school presentations. We do community events. We work with law enforcement. A great transition from all of this is, you know, the DARE officers, right? Like they're responsible for creating programs. So we work with the New Jersey PBA to help us get our message out there. We created a documentary um, called Mallory the Film. It's Mallory, but it's called Mallory the Film. And the documentary is really in the vein of an ABC after school special. And I might be dating myself just a little bit. I know, I'm with you. Yeah, (laughs) ABC after school special, right? But those stories took on tough content. They told the story at our age that we could comprehend it. And there was always a solution at the end. And that's what Mallory's... Mallory's life and her story is really about is that, yes, she had a wonderful life and then there was tragedy, but you're not defined by your tragedy. You're defined by how you respond to your tragedy. And so that's really the message that we want to send to kids, particularly in middle school and high school, is that, listen, you're going to fall down and skin your knee. You're not go- the boy's not going to like you. You're not going to get into your D1 school. There are bad things that are going to happen to you throughout your life. It's not what happens to you. It's how it's what you do. How do you respond to the tragedy? Teaching children that they have a voice and that they can respond to what's going on within their circle and they can be a part of the solution. We use language like upstander. Upstander means nothing to a kid if you haven't taught them how to be an upstander. Upstander is not a noun, it's a verb. It comes with actions. It means nothing if the behavior isn't there to represent what it means. And so we try, we do our best to try to teach children how to be an upstander. And that's what we call living a bracelet kind of life. That's our mantra is that Mallory believed that wearing a a handmade bracelet on your arm to remember to be the good in the world. It's like tying a string around your finger to remember to pick up milk, bread, and cereal. We still need something on our body to say to us, you are worthy, you stand for something, you mean something. And so teaching children that they can put this little blue band on their arm to be the good in the world, I think that's our greatest accomplishment. Diane, you were making some points that I think are incredibly powerful and that I think should be heard and reinforced with folks because I do think sometimes there's a sense that, you know, you're going to get everybody to love each other. And like, we just won't like people like who they like. There are some friends, some kids are going to be friends with some kids in some group and not friends with kids in another group. All of those things are natural, but um, we were off air and I had to come back on because you actually just nailed it. Uh, You know, how do you see this pendulum uh, swinging back and forth and how can we do a better job about not being so extreme and reactive in situations? Yeah, we just have to acknowledge that, you know, kids aren't going to be friends. We're not going to sit in a big circle and sing Kumbaya and we're not going to, right? But the soccer kids are not going to be friends with the football players or the math and science people like because they have they don't have the same common interest. It is it is just so odd to me that we expect 900 middle schoolers to be in one building and they all have to be nice to one another and they all have to like each other. We don't do that in the corporate world. Why would we expect children with underdeveloped brains to be able to navigate puberty and personalities and attractions and not attractions? 
So I think one of the things we have to do is bring our moral compass back, right? We have to stop legislating every single behavior. And I know that kind of goes against what I'm saying when I say change the laws, but I think that our moral compass has to guide us. At some point, we have to be the person that says, oh, I don't like you, but I would never tell you to kill yourself, right? Like our moral compass has to tell us that, you know what, your kid was an asshole at school today, Little Jimmy, sit down. We've got some talking to do, right? Like you represent this family when you walk out that door. And your representation of our family and our community is important. So while you don't have to be best friends with Susie, you don't even have to look at her. You don't have to like her. You don't have to. But you damn well better respect her and you're not going to be cruel to her. We cannot legislate what people feel in their hearts. Uh, We can't make people love each other. But to your point, we can certainly insist that we treat one another, certainly young people on school grounds. Yes. Treat each other with dignity and respect. Well said, Diane. Yeah. Thank you so much. (laughs) No, I think it is important. I, I think that, you know, one of the things I always talk about with kids and stuff is that make a list of all of the personalities that your kids have to manage, right? Let's say you're in a blended family and you're remarried. So there's four parents involved, right? Let's say that there's a babysitter. Let's say that they've got a soccer coach and a math tutor, right? They're in middle school. They have every bit of at least three to five teachers. And then sometimes there's a teacher's aide. At the end of the day, your child very easily and organically, due to no fault of anyone's, could be managing up to 12 adult personalities. Now I want you to take your own inventory. How many personalities do you manage as an adult? Half that, right? Like generally half that. You've got your immediate coworkers, you have your immediate spouse. Our children have a boatload of personalities that they're trying to manage, that they're trying to navigate. They're not developed. Right. And we throw technology into it. Like one teacher wants you to respond in Genesis and another one wants you to use Pearson Select and another one wants you to use their Dojo account or whatever. Like if you start putting all that down, that is a lot of pressure. Our children are under an immense amount of pressure. They very rarely have any downtime. They are losing their creativity. They are losing their quietness. They're losing their ability. So what are they doing as a result of that? We are seeing a mental health crisis. We're seeing suicide at an all-time high. We're seeing depression rates. Kids are going to therapists. They're, like, they're taking medication. Like We literally need to really take an examine and take our own inventory as parents, as adults, as teachers, as administrators. We need to start taking our own inventory and recognize that, hey, maybe what we're doing just ain't working. Mm-hmm. I can think of few people who are better situated to share that message because you took the darkest tragedy ever and you're saving other lives with it. Mallory should be here with us today. And she's not, she is, she is, and her spirit lives on through your work. And because of your work, you are going to save other young people. And that's why I wanted to have you here. Um, Thank you for everything that you're doing. God bless you and your family. Here's to Mallory and her memory will stay alive. It will not, uh, it will not be for nothing. We remember her and we're going to celebrate her life. Thank you so much. I sincerely appreciate you asking the right questions and including us in your in your platform. Thank you. I appreciate you. 